Let me uh, begin just by saying this morning, good day. And uh, I, I couldn't help but think as I was walking into the auditorium that today was going to be a good day. And I found myself saying that to people, good day. I don't know that I have an ounce of Australian blood in me. I've never been in Australia. I can't even spell some things that are in Australia. And yet this week, here we are, uh, we're pushing Australia, all things Australian or Aussie, as they say. And uh, I am, in fact, this morning going to weave some Aussie phrases into the message. So if you get bored and you want something to do, at the end of today's sermon, total up the number of Aussie phrases that you have heard, okay? Compare that with your neighbor and see who wins. And if you want a total from me later, I'll see what I can do to help you out. Over the years, I have grown to appreciate road signs. Helpful signs posted along the roadways of the world. I've gathered several pictures of them this morning so that you can have a gander at them. <clears throat> That's one. All right, so get those, those pictures up here. They're information signs to help you not mess up and get in an accident. See, that's helpful right there. And there's one that's even there somewhere to warn you that it's against the law to have an accident on this particular road. I guess on others, it's okay. Some signs are going to help you be warned of hazards that you might face as you travel, like low-flying airplanes. I guess you're the one that yields if there's a low-flying airplane. And I thought, is that really a serious <laughs> thought? Yeah, apparently that is a serious thing to watch out for. Also, you need to be aware that when it rains, there will be water on the road. Do you really need to be told that? Well, if it rains enough, yes, because there will not be a road at all, is what it says. There are some that warn you about animal hazards, like low-flying owls. Yes, watch out for those. And I'm not sure about this one. Must be in Minnesota, right? Man-eating mosquitoes. And then there's this one. I guess I'm not sure what it means. You need to watch out for aliens abducting cows. Okay. Snail crossing. That could take a while. Penguin crossing. Thank you, New Zealand. South Africa. Hippos at night. If you see hippos out at night, they're up to nothing good. Watch out for hippos at night. And then, of course, New Zealand again. Beware of scuba diver crossing, right? Certain roads, you've got to watch out for scuba divers. You never know when they'll pop out from the bushes. I appreciate it also, this last one, this sign that just simply points you to God. Yep, that's in Hungary, by the way. It's a city in Hungary. Now, I can't say I am sure about why all of those signs are there. I can tell you this, though. Signs along the road are supposed to help us. They're supposed to help us know what to expect. And for a few weeks now, we have been looking at some of the road signs, if you will, in the Old Testament. We called them what? Types, right? 
typology is taking those Old Testament stories and things and looking at them and understanding how they apply in the New Testament. Jesus applied a different word in Luke 11 as he looked back at the story of Jonah. And he said that Jonah, a type, was a sign. And I want to talk about that word in Jonah today. We need to read signs, don't we? Whether you're driving down the highway or whether you're journeying on the highway of life, the whole Bible is full of signs that God has given us. And there are a lot of times in the Old Testament when God takes that story, that sign, to, to teach us a lesson. And it explains even more to us about it in the New Testament. Paul talks about that in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, beginning at verse 1, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, he says, I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. That's all very flowery, figurative language, looking back at those Old Testament signs that were pointing to the New Testament. <clears throat> God is taking those stories from Israel and using them to teach us more about Jesus, more about our walk with him. Let's read on in verse 5. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples, the word is types, as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. These things, these things that happened with Israel, these stories from the Old Testament, Paul says, happened as types for us so that we might not desire evil as they did. Well, the prophet Jonah is one of those stories. So I'd like you to open up your Bibles to the book of Jonah. It's a short little book later in the Old Testament. His story appears there in the Old Testament, the book that's named after him, most likely written by him sometime in the 8th century BC. It's only 58 verses long. And the book of Jonah is unique because among the prophets, it's different. It is really about Jonah. It's not about his message so much as it is about Jonah, the man. And it begins with Jonah, you know the story, trying to run away from God. Which, by the way, doesn't work. And it ends, here's a unique thing about it, it ends with a question mark. It's a great story about God's grace. I encourage you to read it tonight. By the way, 58 verses doesn't take long, but this morning I want us to consider it, especially in light of what Jesus says about it. So let's take a squiz. That means a quick, a quick look, all right, at the book of Jonah, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city and call out against it for their evil has come up before me but Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord he went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish so he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord good luck with that Jonah So God sends a storm, you know this story, 
the ship is close to sinking, Jonah convinced the sailors on the ship to throw him overboard to appease God's anger and stop the storm and calm the sea. And at the same time, God acted and spared Jonah's life with a kind of lifeboat. Verse 17, the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So let me pause there for a second and just ask you to think this morning, what has God done in your life to get your attention? What has God done to get you headed the correct direction? Go ahead and ponder that, because I've been there, done that. God has used a variety of interesting experiences in my life to get me to pause, to change directions, to get back on track. Some of them have been pretty simple. None of them have been like spending three days on a Mediterranean cruise underwater. What's for supper tonight? Sushi again? No, Jonah, you are, right? So give some thought to whatever it is that God has allowed to make you change directions. And maybe you didn't even realize until now that that's what it was. Maybe you looked back at something that happened in your life and you have just thought of it as some pointless bad luck. And if that's what you keep thinking, let me suggest to you this morning, could that maybe be a wasted experience that God wants you to learn from? Jonah still didn't understand everything, but Jonah knew why he was in a fish's belly. If you look at chapter 2 of Jonah, it is just a clip, a short clip of what he did while he is in the belly of the fish. He prayed. Not much else he could do. And he repented of his rebellion, and he made promises to God. And God listened to him. <laughs> And that's just the first half of his story. The, the second half of the book goes on from there. At the end of chapter 2, verse 10, God acts again and has Jonah dropped off. That is, the fish chunders him up on the shoreline. There's another Aussie phrase for you. You can use that one this week, chunders him up. So there's Jonah on the seashore. And God gives him a second chance. And this time, Jonah wisely listens. And he travels to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, and he delivers a message from the Lord, and the people of Nineveh listen and are changed. I am summarizing the book. I would love to say that the story of Jonah ends happy from there. But really, it doesn't end. Instead of Jonah riding off into the sunset at the end of the story, we ride off into the sunset and leave Jonah sitting outside of on the east side of town, hot and bothered. That's how it ends. Jesus picks up that story, the story of Jonah, and he uses it in the middle of his teaching. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is facing a hostile crowd of religious leaders, their main goal is to catch him off guard and get him to make some mistake. And when Jesus gives a reason for his actions, by the way, he turns to the scriptures. What a great idea. He actually believes that those stories in the Old Testament really happen. He actually believes that those stories in the Old Testament have value for our lives. They do. 
And as it turns out, they've got value for their first readers, but they have a value that goes way beyond that. And that's what Jesus is pointing out in chapter 12, verse 39. He answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. With those words, Jesus predicted his own death and resurrection. It's not Easter, but you know what? The Lord is risen. We'll try that one again in a moment. Jonah's story is like a movie trailer, you know, a preview of a movie that gives you just a glimpse, a teaser of something that was coming. And all by itself, you could watch that, and it's a great story, but it was pointing to something that's even greater. And we most likely wouldn't have made the connection between Jonah and Jesus if Jesus himself hadn't made that connection for us. Jonah was a type of Jesus' resurrection. Jonah is a lesson about Jesus. Remember, chapter 1, verse 17, the Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish three days, three nights. Think about the similarities between being swallowed by a great fish and being sealed up in a tomb. They're both very dark. They're both pretty small, usually smelly. They both don't hold much hope for a future. And sure enough, for three days, Jonah was as good as dead. I enjoy fishing, and one of the things I really like doing fishing is using what's called a surface lure. It's a lure that you just drag along the surface of the water, and it creates a disturbance. And what's so fun about a surface lure is everything is calm except for that little gurgle on the surface, and then bang, a big old fish comes up, and it's gone. I kind of picture that's what the sailors saw as Jonah was out in the water. He gone. And they didn't expect anything more of Jonah. He's gone. Who would expect to see him again? He's gone, but in chapter 3, Jonah's on his way to preach in Nineveh. And with that same story, God is telling you and me something about Jesus. 800 years earlier, Jonah is gone. He's swallowed up by some horrible sea creature. Nobody expected to see him alive again. He is as good as dead, and God brings him out again. And you know what? I'll bet the person who is most surprised about that is Jonah. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead and buried away. He was flogged He was beaten, he was crucified, he was verified dead, he was pierced, and he was laid in a tomb, dead. People didn't expect to see him again either. But then there's no denying that he was alive on the third day. He very deliberately showed himself to more than 500 people at one time. It was similar to Jonah in a way, only there's one really big difference here. Jesus wasn't surprised by this. Jesus said it would happen. 
He's the only person in history ever to predict his death and resurrection in three days and then do it. The Lord is risen. See, you can say that when it's not Easter. So, when you think of Jonah, think of Jesus. When you think of how amazing it is that a man is swallowed whole and spends three days in the world's slimiest submarine and then emerges alive, how much more amazing it is that Jesus was killed and placed in a sealed tomb and rose from the dead on the third day. God specializes in doing amazing things, doesn't he? Jonah's rescue was a type that pointed to Jesus. And today, we can tell the story of Jonah as a sign of Jesus' resurrection. Remember that, by the way, when you tell this story to children, when you teach kids the story of Jonah, teach them the story of Jesus. When you teach grown-ups the story of Jonah, teach them the story of Jesus. I want to go one step further. That Jesus not only said that Jonah was a sign about his own resurrection, Jesus also said that Jonah's rescue was a sign to the people of his time. That's how Jesus describes Jonah in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. When the crowds were increasing, he began to say, This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. Let's step back into that story again. Jonah became, Jesus says, a sign to the people of Nineveh. Whether he told his story to them or they just heard about his story, somehow they, they had his, they had, he had their attention. Scientists tell us that somebody surviving in the stomach of a fish would probably be somewhat bleached by gastric acids, possibly bald, too. And I tend to imagine that Jonah probably carried a certain odor with him. What do you think? This guy didn't just tell a story. This guy was a story. He was a sign. He was a story about the way that God is in control of everything, and Jonah is written to, to account for that, that God is in control of big waves and of storms and of runaway prophets and of fish and of hot sun and hot wind and worms and plants and all kinds of things. Jonah was also a story about God's kindness because even in the midst of running away from God, his life was spared and God still used him. People looked at his story, God used it to point them to change lives. We've got a word for that, it's called repentance. The people of Nineveh repented. This guy was chased down by God on the sea. He's been three days in a fish belly. He's been thrown up on the shore. He comes to tell Nineveh a message they need to hear and repent. What would you do? I'd repent. You know what? The life of every follower of Jesus Christ 
is a sign to other people. Like it or not, you've had an experience. Jesus calls it crossing over from death to life. If you're a follower of Jesus, that's you. And now you are scented by the experience of being saved. Remember, Brian Rodert mentioned this verse a couple of weeks ago, 2 Corinthians 2.15, we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. You've got an odor about you. And just like Jonah, your life, your story is for other people to read. Remember that. Have you seen it happen? Or maybe you have watched it happen in other people's lives as well. When someone accepts Jesus and their life turns around and one day someone suddenly notices it and says, hey, you smell different than you used to. There's something different about you. Something has changed you. And another person's life becomes a sign to everybody who will pay attention to it that Hope lives here in Jesus. And it might be that your story has taken you through some storms at this point in your life. If you've ever felt like your life was like something out of the movies, don't despair. Because God uses lives just like that to show his handiwork what he is doing. You can look at the hard times in your life and you can say about them, boy, did that stink. But somewhere in all that, those things that Jonah went through, his audience that he spoke to had a reason to listen to him. You can call it street creds. You can call it authenticity. Call it what you want. God used that to accomplish something big. Do you hear what I'm getting at? Whatever you've been through, whatever you've been spared from, let God use your life. Let him use it as a sign for people who will see it. That he is at work here. People ought to be able to look into our lives. We ought to be close enough to them that they can smell it and see what God has done. Then let me say this, that our rescued lives together with God's message can point people to Jesus now. Jonah had a message. He also had a life to share, and I realize that not just what we say, but how we live speaks volumes, doesn't it? Just to let you know why I think that planning worship services and being careful that that's done well is very important, let me tell you a story from a previous ministry. One Sunday morning as I was getting ready to preach, we had someone coming to sing a special, a song, right before the sermon that day. I'll hide the name of the guilty party to protect him, but his initials are Charlie. And Charlie got up that Sunday morning to uh, get ready to sing his song, and he felt compelled to speak beforehand. Actually, what he was doing was apologizing. And he said, now, I, I don't mean for this to be any reflection on Sherm, dot, dot, dot. And then the music began, and then Charlie proceeded, right before I got up to preach that day, to sing a song called, I'd Rather See a Sermon Than Hear One Any Day. Okay. How we live matters, though, doesn't it? As much as what we have to say, at least as much as what we have to say, because our message won't mean anything if we don't live it. And then what we tell about God with our words, that 
matters too. When we retell the story of Jonah, we ought to use that to help explain the cross. Apparently, that's one of the reasons that God has recorded it for you and me to be able to look at today. When Jonah went to Nineveh, he had more than bleached skin, a bald head, and a bad odor. He had more than just an experience in his life that he wouldn't forget. Jonah was sent by God with a message. Chapter 3, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and, Jonah shall, or, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. That was the message. He didn't make it up. It wasn't his idea. In fact, clear up to chapter 3, verse 1, as far as we know, God hasn't even given that message to Jonah. He gets it sometime after that. So Jonah proceeds to go into the capital of Assyria with this somber message. And when he put his real-life experience together with that true message, it led to the change of a whole city of about 300,000 people. Archaeologists and others estimate that was the approximate population of the area around Nineveh. 300,000 people became conscious of how they had wronged God and how they needed to do something about it. 300,000 people together cried out to God for mercy because they believed they were going to be destroyed if they didn't change. One man preaching a simple message, 300,000 people changed. You know, the, the population of Greater Rockford is about 348,000. Not too different from what we're looking at here. It's great that you tell your neighbor about your faith in Jesus. Please do that. In fact, who's that one person? Remember the one person? The one that you can impact? Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's somebody in your neighborhood. But who's that one person that you're praying for, that you could share your faith with them, that they would come to know Jesus? What about the little ones that run up and down your street? Have you talked to their parents? Have you talked to them about Ignite, Mate? Have you talked to them about what's going on here this week? Begins today. By the way, Ignite begins today. It's great for you to do that, but those people who live near you that you can talk to, they also need to see your faith in Jesus. They need to hear it when the windows of your house are open and they hear conversations going on. They need to taste it when you bring them cookies or you invite them over to your backyard for a burger on the barbie. When you put your genuine life together with God's truth, it's a powerful tool. Amen? And we need to be showing people with our lives that Jesus is real. And then we need to help them appreciate what he does by telling stories like the one about Jonah. And like the story that you know even better than the story of Jonah, the story of you. And what Jesus has done in your life. The story about how you wandered away from God, maybe ran away from God, and somehow you came back and you're done running from him. You know that story the best. It means more to you than any other. Tell it. Tell someone how Jesus changes your life. Let your words point them to the cross and let your life do the same. See, the story of Jesus like the story of Jonah, is a kind of a sign. It is a sign. 
about how much God wants you back. How much? I'm glad you asked that. He wants you back enough that he is willing to let his son die. A sign it is that sin is costly and that God's grace is greater. That someone loves you enough to pay the cost for that sin. 1973, there was a popular song about a man who was looking for a sign before Britney Spears sang about that. He's on a bus headed for Miami. One of the passengers on that bus explains to the driver he's just out of prison. He's spent three years there for writing bad checks, and he's on his way home. He has written a letter to his wife. But she hadn't written if she would wait for him. She hadn't said if she was still interested in him. So he told her, if you're still interested in me, tie a yellow ribbon around the only oak tree in the city's central park. And the song goes, as the bus is approaching town, the man can't stand to look. He asks the bus driver to slow down and look for him. And then everyone on the bus cheers because there's not one ribbon on the old oak tree. There are a hundred yellow ribbons around the old oak tree. The writers of that song say that it was actually based on a story out of the Civil War era. In a modern-day adaptation was made by them, and that song didn't really take off until it was recorded by Tony Orlando and Dawn in 1973, during which it went viral in a 1973 sort of way. In 1980, when 52 Americans were taken hostage in Iran, people back home began to put up yellow ribbons as a way of saying we have not forgotten about them. And yellow ribbons began showing up again as the war in Afghanistan began or in, in Iraq, as a way of expressing that our troops who were overseas were not forgotten. And I imagine if it were me, and I saw video of yellow ribbons all over the country, that would do a lot for my morale. Who among us doesn't want some sign that we're remembered, that we're being thought of? Our walk with Jesus is filled with wonderful signs so that we can appreciate where we're at, where we're headed. Some of those signs are recorded for us in the story of a man named Jonah. Jesus even took that story and he pointed them out to us. But you know what? All of the signs that he pointed to were pointing to something greater. And I want to tell you this morning that if you're looking for a sign that God loves you, if you're looking for some kind of a sign that he wants to have a forever relationship with you, you don't need to look any farther than to the cross because it's there that God is pointing out you're of great value to him. He desires a relationship with you, and he's made the way that that can be done. It's through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. And so this morning, in light of all those things that we've talked about, I'm encouraging you to consider that God wants you in a relationship with him. That can happen through his son, Jesus. If 
you have that story already in your life, then your, your life is a story to help bring others into that. Every one of you. And if that's not your story yet, it can be starting today. Just like those people in Nineveh heard that God had a message for them, the message for you is the same, that you need to repent, that he has made a way that you can be right with him. It comes through his son, Jesus Christ, acknowledging who he is, letting him be Lord in your life, putting away the old life, being baptized into him, having his spirit come live inside of you. These things all come together when you step forward to accept Jesus Christ. If you need to do that today, if you're online, um, we're encouraging you to contact us, cccrockford.org connect or put something in the comments right now and allow us to get in touch with you. Email us, call us, help us to be able to get together with you and talk to you about your relationship with Jesus. Some of you here this morning, sitting here, know that this is a decision that you need to make. This is the time to make that choice. Let's stand up together. Let's pray together as we get ready for time for making decisions and a response to God's word. Father, thank you that this morning you've given us life. Just like I am sure Jonah was grateful that you allowed him to live, you have given us this day. For whatever failures or shortcomings we have had uh, any days up to this point, you have given us this moment, this time, to be able to be uh, growing in our relationship with you. For some, Lord, that means starting today. So I pray that you would give them uh, the encouragement that you would remove the things that hinder us from that good choice. Father, for some of us whose lives are now a story of your great grace, help us to tell it faithfully, to live it realistically, and to be for others, just like Jonah was, a sign of how great you are. Use this moment, we pray, in Jesus' name, amen.